No, I'm glad to be here with you guys, and I haven't met you. Like Brent said, I'm, I'm Justin, the discipleship pastor. Uh, we're going to be continuing on this morning in John chapter 12, looking at the end of Jesus' public ministry. Um, and really, from here, it's going to kind of turn a page. But um, one thing, just keep in mind, we're going to look at a pretty large section, so we're not going to cover every verse in depth, but we'll look at the major themes for this whole section as we get going. Uh, but as, as uh, we get started, let me just pray for us, for some open hearts and minds as we begin. God, thank you for this church, and this morning as we're gathered together, would you give all of us open hearts and minds to receive what you have for us in your word today? Uh, and God, uh, beyond uh, hearing it, would we also be people who are willing to respond to it and to do it? And so God, thank you again for our time today. Amen. Uh, so about 14 years ago, I started on staff here at the church working in the uh, youth ministry. And um, at the time, I started as the junior high director. So as you can imagine, it was a, kind of a crazy time, fun time uh, with, with working with students. They're kind of an a age where they just take things and run with it. But at the same time, those of you who are teachers know this. I mean, they're, they're uh, you know... Decisions aren't always the best, you know, their brain physically isn't even fully developed. So, you know, different things happen. It gets kind of crazy sometimes, but it was a fun season. And uh, during that, that time, um, we decided to do this one event. And it was a couple years after uh, Survivor came out. Um, some of you probably were big fans, you know, back, I think it was the early 2000s when it first came out. Um, and a lot of people got into it, and we thought, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Junior hires at Survivor, you know, uh, kicking people off the island. You know, it sounds like this should be a fun, fun evening out together. And so we had this event. We had a bunch of junior hires all together and uh, split them into tribes, you know, gave them a little headband they could wear, different colors, and uh, just was a, a really f a fun night. But it really centered around this main part of it where we did this relay race. And so they started at one, one person on their tribe started at one place. And what they had to do, because it was a youth event, is they had to eat something, okay? And you can probably guess what one of the items where they had to eat, because I never see anyone eat one otherwise. It was one of those little pies, uh, you know, that you get at the convenience store that no one seems to buy, but like at youth events, they always use them. So we had those, a couple other things they had to eat. And then when they finished, uh, they ran to the next stop where there was someone there. And, and that person on their team then had an empty milk jug and a flipper. And what they had to do is figure out how do I get this milk jug across the pool without getting in it with just this flipper. When they finished, you know, they ran to the next station and the next person, uh, I think they had, to, uh, had three tennis balls and they had to bowl them and knock down these water bottles. And then there was a couple others. But at each station, as they finished it, uh, they got this bag of puzzle pieces. They had no idea what these pieces all made. Um, as you can imagine, I'm sure they were trying to just figure out, okay, what is this? You know, trying to make sense of this image. Um, and maybe think for a second, you know, what could this have been? Junior hires, survivor, you know, what could it have been? Okay, exactly, it's this guy. Uh, I'm sure that's what you were thinking, right? Does anybody even know who this is? Okay, I was hoping second service would get it, but first service didn't either. Uh, this is actually St. Augustine. He's a, one of the early church fathers, was super significant in the, the early history of the church. And I think uh, it was one of our youth interns um, just helped us think, you know, how do we add some purpose to this? So we, you know, taught him something about him and a part of this. But the reason why I mention this is because you see this image. 
No one expected it. No one thought, oh, it's going to be a church father. You know, I know that's what's coming on this. Uh, no one, none of the junior hires, they expected this. They just had the pieces, and they had to fit it all together to make this final image. And in this, this scene in John 12, what we're going to find is, is uh, Jesus is sharing about who he is. And really the way I like to think about it is he's trying to give them any of the pieces they might be missing so they can see the full picture of who he is and respond appropriately to it. And, and really, if you uh, miss everything, really the big idea that, that Jesus is trying to give us as he ends his public ministry is that he came to suffer and to die, to call all people to know him and then to live like him. And that's really what he's going to be describing and painting for the people. So if you want to turn to John uh, chapter 12, verse 20, we're going to pick up there. And as we dive in and look at this, these opening few verses in John 12, 20, um, they're really going to describe this, this first principle, this first theme from this section. And it's this, that the call of Christ extends to all people. And so in verse 20, notice how it begins. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So, they, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to come to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So first, I think it's just kind of funny, because these guys come to Andrew, or come to Philip, going, hey, can we come see Jesus? And then, you know, he doesn't feel like he can just go to Jesus and ask him, but he goes, let me get my brother, let me see if the two of us can go and talk to Jesus about these Greeks who want to see Jesus. Uh, So it's just kind of a comical to me how it opens, but notice these people that want to see him, they're Greeks. And really the word is super broad. Just to mean, okay, these are non-Jews who have come to find out who is this Jesus. All we know about them is apparently they seem to believe in God because what does it say? They're coming up to the festival. They're coming to uh, engage, to worship at the feast. And so these guys believed in God, had some idea of, okay, we believe in God of the Old Testament. Uh, We don't know much beyond that. But notice they came to discover who is Jesus. Now, when you read what they said, It it sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. But really, when you look at the the Greek, what they're saying is, we want to interview Jesus. We want to ask him some questions. We want to find out who he is. It's really the idea that's coming across here. It's not just, we want to see the signs or miracles he can perform, but we want to to ask him some questions. We want to interview him as well. And what's um, kind of ironic in, in John's gospel, we've seen this before, is that it's often the non-Jews who are the people who understand who Jesus is, who recognize him, who understand his identity. But usually it's the Jews who seem to be the people that just see the miracles but don't see beyond them. Um, Skip up just a couple verses in chapter 12. Notice right in here we see that same thing happening in verse 18 in John 12. It says, The reason why the crowd went to meet him, went to meet Jesus, was that they heard he had done this sign. Uh, and this sign referring to raising Lazarus from the dead. So the Jews, they're just interested in that. But yet, these Greeks are coming to interview Jesus, to find out who he is. And we see that same thing happening at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You might remember this. It wasn't the Greeks in that case, but it was the Samaritans. And notice how the Samaritans responded in John 4. It said, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And then notice this part, and many more believed him because of his word. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so these, again, non-Jews, these Samaritans who were despised by the Jews, they again were people just like these Greeks who wanted to understand who is Jesus? Um, who is this guy? We want to find out. And as you can see here, they discovered he's the Savior of the world. Later in John 12, we're going to see the same theme of the call of Christ extending to all people. Down in verse 32, Jesus brings it up when he says, I'll be lifted up from the earth and I'll draw all people to myself. Uh, later in verse 46, he says, I've come into the world, world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So Jesus is calling all people to come to understand who he is, to discover who he is, and then to respond to that. And so I want to give you first uh, two questions for you to think about that I think relate to this. The first is, who do you think Jesus is? Uh, because these Greeks are coming inquisitive, interested, just like those Samaritans earlier in the Gospel of John, wondering, who is this guy? He does these miracles, but listen to what he says. And I would encourage you, if you're at that point where you're just exploring, you feel like, you know, I'm not sure who God is or who this Jesus is, but I want to know more. We're glad you're here. And we want to encourage you to keep going, keep searching out uh, who he is. Uh, I would encourage you, and I mean anybody here, if you haven't um, read the book, to watch the movie next month, um, the movie The Case for Christ. Uh, what I love about it is it's a story of one man who was a reporter, and he was a skeptic, and he set out to basically disprove and debunk Christianity and that Jesus existed and was resurrected. That was his whole premise. He set out just to debunk that. And yet, through searching the evidence, asking the experts, looking at it, he discovered Jesus really is Savior of the world. And he ended up giving his faith to Christ. And now he goes and he shares his story with others because he took the time to ask, who is this Jesus? And to really grapple with that question. But I want you to, to think beyond that, uh, not just do I believe Jesus is the Son of God or the Savior of the world, but what impact has that had on my life? And that's the second question. Has your belief in Jesus impacted your life? Or do you just believe it up here and that's where it stayed? It doesn't come out in your actions, in your words, and in, in any response uh, from you. The reason why I say that is because you think about the disciples, and others who followed Jesus. What were some of the things they had to, to give up or to sacrifice to follow Jesus? The impact that it had on them. You think about some, they left their job. You know, others, they left their family. Others, they decided, I need to give away money or possessions. Um, there was some kind of impact upon them when they discovered who Jesus was. And yet in chapter 12 here, we're going to see another group. If you skip down to verse 42, who are unwilling to move beyond just belief in the mind to action. Verse 42, look at what it says. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so you have these guys later who they have belief, but they're not willing to confess it. They're not willing to express it in their life. It's the same idea Paul picks up on in Romans 10, when Paul says, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Notice how he couples those two ideas, confession and belief. 
They say, and these two things must go together, must both take place. Verse 10, he says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And really what Paul's getting at is that there has to be an inward and an outward expression. That faith can't just stay in the mind, otherwise is it, is it really saving faith if it doesn't get expressed in any kind of external way. That it's the heart and the hands, or the beliefs and the behavior, that those two things must be intermixed, must be connected to each other. And so think about, for you, has your belief in who Jesus is prompted any kind of action? Or have you kind of kept going the way that you're going in your life? Uh, really, for us in our world, maybe a better way to think about it is, do you have an active trust in Jesus? Um, does, it, does it impact your daily life? I don't know how many of you have heard of uh, this guy, uh, Charles Blondin. He's a pretty am- amazing guy. He was a famous French tightrope walker, and you can see from these pictures, I mean, he was kind of a crazy guy. And some of the stories you hear about him uh, are pretty, pretty amazing. If there weren't hundreds and thousands, of, in some cases, of eyewitnesses, you would think it was just being made up. Uh, but really, his, his big claim to fame is he was the first guy to uh, go on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Uh, all 1,300 feet stretched 190 feet up in the air, across. First time he goes across, uh, he does it in, I think, about 20 minutes, gets to the other side, to the Canadian side, and he, you know, relaxes, takes a break for 20 minutes, and then he starts going back across. Uh, but what's uh, strange about it is he has this pack on his back, and when he's about 200 feet out, he stops takes out a camera from his backpack, which you can see in the one photo at the bottom, and takes a picture of the American side where there were, I think they said up to 25,000 people there. Um, it's pretty incredible just the, the things he did after he went across that first time. He kind of kept one-upping himself time after time. One time he threw something over his head and walked across it, basically blindfolded. Another time he got down to the center, got down on the uh, rope, and I think turned around and then walked backwards um, to go back. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing. But one story I found striking. Uh, the this, this story goes he went a- across uh, one way with a wheelbarrow. He went all the way across to the other side. As you can imagine, you know, the crowd's excited. They're wondering, what's going to be next? How's he going to one-up this? And so he asked the crowd, you know, do you believe that I can travel back across with this wheelbarrow with someone in it? And you can imagine the crowd's like, yeah, you can do it. You guys got this. You got this. And he says, okay, who wants to get in? <laughs> and the story goes, no one did. You know, no one was willing to place their trust in him to go, okay, I don't just believe you can do it. I'm going to actively get in. I'm going to put myself on the line as a result. And that's really what I'm getting at here as we talk about, uh, not, as we talk about our beliefs affecting our behavior, that understanding who Christ is should impact our lives, the way we speak, the way we live. Um, you know, even in, in um, Romans here, one of the expressions, because it's talking about confession being this public, this external thing that I'm sure Paul had in mind as one of the expressions is even baptism. That's one of the ways we declare, I believe in Jesus, uh, is when we decide to get baptized. And so that's even a step that maybe for some of you, you've never, me- never made, but maybe need to. So this opening section, we have the call of Christ that extends to all people as these Greeks show up. It seems to, to show, okay, a pivot in the book that uh, now these Greeks are on the scene and now Jesus is being reminded 
I came both for the Jew, the Samaritan, and the uh, uh, Gentile or the Greek as well. And as I mentioned, he talks about this theme throughout this section. Let's continue on in verse 23. So these Greeks show up to interview Jesus, uh, and then notice how Jesus responds in verse 23. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, these guys come, and then Jesus kind of has a weird response, doesn't he? And in this section, he doesn't ever completely address these guys wanting to come and interview him, uh, but he kind of indirectly, you know, deals with it uh, later, later in this section. But notice what he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the appearance of these Greeks seems to kind of trigger in Jesus' mind, okay, the time for me to come and suffer and die on the cross is at hand. These appearance of these Greeks seem to to trigger that because this word, the hour, this little phrase um, comes out throughout the book where Jesus is always looking ahead, saying the hour hasn't come, the hour hasn't come. Now he's saying, okay, the hour is, is come. It's at hand. It's almost here. And so he continues on in verse 24. Then he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus begins just with this principle saying, uh, this principle from the natural world, out of death comes life. Just like this seed that for all intended purposes seems to be dead, has to be buried in the ground before it can sprout and produce fruit and produce life uh, unto other, um, other, other seeds, plants, fruit in that sense. And so Jesus is giving this principle, he came to die is what he's saying, so that others might have life. And again, at the end of this section, if you notice, in verse uh, 26, also talks about his followers uh, following after him, serving him. Um, And in a sense, you could say that they would follow him in the same kind of life that they lead. Uh, And that's really the the second principle we're going to look at in just a second. is how the call of Christ always involves suffering or sacrifice. Just as it was for Christ, so it will be for those who follow him. Uh, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. You think about earlier in Jesus' ministry and, and what he said. In Luke 9, he said, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That he talks about this self-denial, this suffering, this difficulty that you're going to have to face as you, as you follow him. But isn't it true that when you're suffering, when you're going through a difficult time, if you know the purpose doesn't it make it a little bit easier to go through that? I mean, if, if you decided, okay, I'm going to go to Hawaii this summer. Maybe some of you are doing that, but you think, you know, I want to lose maybe 20 pounds. So I look good when I'm on the beach. You know, I can get that nice tan. You know, whatever it is. You decide, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is important to me. Then you decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to do the hard things before that. I'm going to decide, all right, I'm not going to have that extra slice of cake that maybe I want, but I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to, when I get home and I'm tired and I don't want to go anywhere, I go, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to work out, I might be sore tomorrow, but the reason for that pain is because I know Hawaii is coming, okay? I know what I want to look like, I know that that's coming. We do that for small things, we do that for large things, where we sacrifice because we know this is greater than the momentary pain or suffering or difficulty that we have to go through. 
And Jesus realized the same thing, that there was a purpose in the pain, the agony that he was about to go through. Look at verse 27. Jesus said, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But notice this. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. He knows why he came, and he elaborates on it further. Father, glorify your name, or let your name be glorified. He realized the reason why he came was to call all people to come to know him, but in an even larger sense, he came to glorify his father. He came to have his father get the glory, the praise, to be exalted, that that's why he came. And what I thought about is, is sometimes for us, we need to remember the same thing of the purpose for the pain that we may be going through. And you may not ever know all the reasons why you're going through maybe a difficult time, a painful time, time of sacrifice or suffering, but you can always be confident that God will use our suffering for at least two purposes if we'll draw near to Him and lean on Him. And the first is, is what Jesus mentioned, to bring glory to God. That it can be an opportunity to point other people to God as they see how even in a difficult time, when things aren't going well, you don't give up your faith, you continue to press into God, you continue to find strength from God, even though it's difficult, even though it may not be easy. I think other people see that and go, they really believe this. This isn't just when things are great, everything's happy that they believe in God, but even in the tough times, they're willing to, to persevere and to stick with Him. And so it can bring glory to God. But the second one that God can always use, if we'll let Him, is to make us more like Christ, to shape our character. And what I thought about is how you know, one of God's most effective tools in making us more like Christ is, is suffering or difficulty. And yet isn't that the thing we as Americans, want to escape and want to skip the most. You know, we don't want to go through the suffering. We don't want to go through the difficulty. But yet, I was just reminded, thinking about what Jesus went through. He went through all this. And so, in some sense, it's not surprising. That's often what we have to go through to become more like Him, to live that same kind of life, to go through some of those same kind of difficulties. And so, I want to give you a couple just practical questions that have been helpful for me. Um, on this area, and I hope they're helpful for you. You know, when you're in a tough time, what's the question you usually ask? God, why me? Why is this happening to me? Um, You're looking at yourself. But instead, I encourage you to ask this question. God, what do you want to do in me or through me during this time? Uh, In this time of brokenness where, God, it's, it's painful, it's hurting. God, what do you want to do in me? How do you want to reshape me? How do you want to refine me during this time? And God, what do you want to do through me? How do you want to use this to impact other people? I mean, those are tough prayers, tough questions to ask. But if you do that, it'll get you thinking differently. Get you thinking about how can God use this to bring glory to him and to make me more like Christ in the midst of this. But I don't want you to miss something. Look back at verse 27. Because I want to point out that even in the midst of pain, God understands it. And he doesn't want us to ignore the pain. To just pretend like everything's great when it's not. Because even Jesus acknowledged the pain. He knew this was going to be excruciating. Look at verse 27. He said, now is my soul troubled. That word troubled brings with it the whole idea of of revulsion, of uh, horror, anxiety, agitation. I mean, it's a very strong word. He knew what he was going to go through was going to be terrible. The physical agony that he was going to endure, the... uh, emotional and spiritual uh, agony as he felt the wrath of God upon him. 
He knew it was going to be miserable, and he acknowledges that. He doesn't say, it's all going to be great. You know, there's, it's no problem. I'm ready to endure this. He's in agony, but he knows, this is why I came. I came to suffer and die, to call all people to come to know me. And what it reminded me of is, uh, like it says on the screen, God understands our pain. Christ endured more than we ever will, and he's not asking more of us than what he asked of his own son. And it's an opportunity, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful, to experience the comfort of God in a way like maybe you've never experienced. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us of this fact when he says this, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, and notice it's the source of all comfort. He comforts us in some troubles, in troubles that happen sometimes but not other times. No, he says he comforts us in all troubles, at all times, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. We often can't control the difficulty or the, the painful time we're going through. We can't choose how we're going to respond to it. We can't decide, you know, even though this is difficult, even though this is painful, I'm going to lean into God. I'm going to allow others that God's put around me uh, to be his conduits of his grace, his love, his mercy. That's what Paul reminds us. Many times we go through difficulties and God comforts us, gets us through that so that we can be a blessing unto others who maybe have to go through that same time. But again, it's God who's the source of all comfort during that time, that he's with us in the midst of that and hasn't abandoned us. But we must choose to draw near to God and to draw near to others, even in those difficult, painful times. The other part of this uh, I want to give you is to talk about call, the call of Christ involving suffering or sacrifice, that God will honor and reward you for the faithful service and sacrifice for him. If you notice again in verse 26 in John 12 here, what Jesus says. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And I find it interesting that right after verse 26 is when Jesus says, this is going to be tough, but you know what, God? I want you to be glorified in this. And right after that, right after Jesus said um, that statement about anyone serving me, the Father will honor him, then we have the Father respond. Notice what it says in verse 28. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now, the people don't really understand what this is all about, but I think really it's an example of God honoring the faithfulness of his son in this uh, particular instance. And it's the same thing we see James talking about as well. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That even though it may be difficult, even though it may be painful as you're going through a, a difficult time, uh, God sees that. He's going to ultimately honor and reward you for that. So don't give up. Keep going. Keep persevering. Keep leaning on him. Now, now let's continue on with this uh, next section in verse uh, 34. So verse 34, it says, then the crowd, and, and just before this, just so you kind of know, uh, so Jesus sh shares this, and the people aren't kind of understanding what's going on, what this voice was that they just heard as the Father spoke. They're kind of confused. And so this is the crowd then responding. After listening to Jesus and hearing uh, the Father speak, the crowd in verse 34 answered him, 
We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So they're saying, we heard that the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to live forever, is really what their understanding is. But now Jesus said, I came to die. But they don't realize that he had to die, but then he would be resurrected, and he, he would and does live forever. Uh, they didn't get this, and so they're confused, and they're grappling with it, trying to understand it. And so Jesus again responds to them in verse 35 and says, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and then he went away and hid himself from them. So you have kind of the end of, of more Jesus' public ministry um, at this point. But he gives this final appeal. You know, again, describing, I'm the light, but my time here is coming to a close. So while I'm here, believe in me, follow me, become children of the light. And then right after this, it continues on in verse 37 through 43. And what it describes is this unbelief of the Jews, that they failed to believe in Jesus. And this wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Um, this was something that was actually foretold in the Old Testament, that most of the Jews would not believe in, in Jesus. And uh, if this is a topic, I mean, it's really interesting to some of you I know. Uh, write down Romans 9 through 11, and Paul talks a bunch about this, uh, more than I can really get into today. But what I find interesting is even though Jesus knew most of these Jews wouldn't believe, he didn't give up on them. He didn't stop preaching to them. He continued to share with them, continued to point them to the way of eternal life. And it's the, the third principle that I want to talk about, that we need to keep living and sharing Christ even if people don't respond to us. Again, in, in John twelve thirty six, 36, uh, Jesus says this, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And then notice right after this, their response. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Though they still didn't believe, but he kept sharing, kept offering that offer of e eternal life to them, and we're called to do the same. But yet, if, if we're honest, aren't there times where you really kind of wonder, you know, is this person, are they ever going to come to Christ? You know, often I feel like it's family or close friends that sometimes are the hardest, where you know them so well and you've known them so long that it's sometimes easy to just think, you know what, I don't think they're ever going to come to Christ. And yet this is that reminder, don't give up. Keep being faithful, keep sharing, keep living for Christ, even in the midst of that. I know at a staff meeting we'll often share stories of kind of what God's doing. And uh, Kevin shared about how he uh, went to um, uh, get some blood tests done. And when he was there, he was talking to the technician who was taking his blood. And um, uh, he just, in the course of the conversation, found out this guy was a Christian. And so he just asked him his story. How did you come to faith? And what was interesting is the guy shared how it was actually his wife who had a friend who for years and years and years invited uh, the wife to church and uh, shared Christ with her. And that, that um, um, the technician's wife, you know, just refused, refused, refused. I mean, years went by. And then finally said, you know what? All right, I'll, I'll go. She went with her. Uh, I think within a few weeks, her husband decided to go. And then they both gave their lives to Christ. But it was directly as a result of this woman's faithfulness to keep sharing, to keep inviting, to not give up on this lady. And as a result, that woman and her husband were both impacted and ended up coming to Christ as well. And it's that reminder to us to not give up, 
not give up on that person that we may know and love and are heartbroken about, but to keep praying for them, to keep asking God to break through. And First Peter reminds us about this same thing. It says you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed. For when they see what a good life you live, because you belong to Christ. In other words, keep living. Keep sharing Christ. Don't give up um, on those people that are around you. Because God may be at work, and that person may not be showing you any sign that God is at work in their heart and mind and just waiting for that moment, for them to come to know Christ and love Him. I don't know how many of you uh, remember this story, but back in 2006, uh, there was a family of four that went missing up in uh, the Oregon wilderness. Uh, it was uh, uh, James and Katie were the husband and wife, and they had a seven-month-old and a four-year-old uh, daughter, two daughters. They were from San Francisco, but they went up to Seattle and were visiting some family and friends up there. And on their return trip, uh, they were going to stop at Gold Beach in Oregon on the way down. And so they set out, uh, you know, driving uh, most of the day and then decided to stop for dinner when they were about 140 miles outside of Gold Beach up in Oregon. Uh, they had some dinner and then got back on the road. James was behind the wheel. Katie was the navigator. And during that night, the Kims made the first of several fateful errors. To get to Gold Beach, they needed to take Route 42 via exit 119, but they missed it. One mistake turned into two. Instead of turning around, the couple decided to take another road that Katie Kim spotted on a map. She said, we felt like we had gone too far past our turn to turn around. So she found another route. It looked like a very clear-cut route to the coast. Uh, and it was a road that was pretty notorious for the people up there called Bear Camp Road, where it was uh, about 4,500 feet up in the air, wasn't maintained, uh, wasn't paved, um, and uh, wasn't uh, plowed as well in the winter. And so they were going down this road. They didn't realize the kind of road that they were on. And so Katie fell asleep. About an hour later, she woke up and realized, okay, this, this is not right. Something's wrong. She said, we've been driving for a long time already, talking to her husband. Did we miss a turn? He said, no, I don't think so. However, amid the snow, James had missed a turn. At a fork in the road, he failed to see a sign to Gold Beach and chose to head right. But he chose wrong. Believing he was on the road to the coast, he had in fact turned onto a logging track. And so they turn to their cell phones and they're trying to get a signal and they don't get a signal. And so they stop at this, this clearing, this uh, fork in the road later and decide to wait for daylight. So they kept warm that night by idling their engine. The next day they ate the food they had with them, studied their maps and were confident, you know, someone's going to find us. But no one came that day. Second night, they huddled together in the back of their car. Uh, turned on the radio, and they heard more bad news. More storms were coming. Uh, in addition to that, they had seen some black bears, too. And so they're beginning to get pretty fearful. And so Katie you know, knew bears tend to not like loud noises. So, so throughout the night, she would honk the horn, uh, just hoping to make it through. The next day, they left a note on a uh, uh, logger's gate, hoping someone might see it. Uh, the husband wrote SOS in the snow in really large uh, letters with some of the rocks from the area but still no one came. Fifth day, the gas had run out, and along with it, the heat. The youngest daughter stopped smiling, and her cries became very sad and thin. By the time nightfall arose, the whole family was suffering from frostbite and feared the onset of hypothermia. 
So the next day, James got an idea uh, to try and send the smoke signal up. So he got, got the tires. He got this stuffed animal from his daughter. He was able to light them on fire, get the smoke going up. They were excited. But again, that excitement quickly turned to despair as no one came. Nothing seemed to change. The seventh day, the family knew they couldn't survive much longer. And so James decided to take the only path he believed was left. And so he left the car to go and search for help. What the Kims didn't realize is, is that there was a massive search underway at that point. And so on the ninth day, a helicopter spotted their car, radioed for help, and within minutes, more helicopters arrived. They found Katie and her daughter suffering from frostbite and near starvation, but alive. But Katie was shattered when she learned that James had not been found and wouldn't be found. It's a tragic story with, with one wrong turn after another after another, with them believing, you know, we've gone too far down this path. We can't turn around. We can't go back. We just got to keep going. We got to try maybe a new path. And really what I want everyone to hear today is it's, it's not too late. It's never too late to turn around, to place your trust in Christ, that that invitation extends to all of us while there's still time, while we're still here on earth. There will be a time when it is too late, but that call, that invitation comes to all of us today to believe in Christ and begin to follow him. The end of Jesus' at this section in John 12, Jesus says this, I have come into the world as light. Again, this invitation, so that whoever believes in me might not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And what Jesus, again, is just reminding us is it's not enough to just hear these words, to just have that belief. You've got to act upon them. Uh, you got to do something with them. And it's the same call that he gave in John chapter 3, the same invitation at the beginning of his ministry when he said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, again, does not act upon that belief, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so Jesus reminds us that though he didn't come to bring judgment, judgment will come one day. And if we refuse time after time to accept that invitation, uh, that invitation will end up, in a sense, becoming our, our judge, that refusal to accept the forgiveness that God offers uh, wound up being, um, I guess, just a tragic turning point uh, for our lives. So as we close, would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I know this morning we talked about a lot of things, but I want to just pray for you. Pray for how maybe you need to respond to this invitation to know Christ to follow Christ, to believe in Christ, but then also to not just stop with that belief, but to act upon that. And so let me pray for you. God, thank you for these people who are here. And as the uh, band leads us in song, would you be at work in each heart and mind? God, you know those who are resisting and just waiting, who need to follow you, but yet uh, something's holding them back. And so God, would you just remind them, today is the day to not put off that invitation, to not say no, to not refuse it, but to go, okay, God, I know who you are. I believe in who you are. Now I need to act upon it. I need to take a step of faith, whether for the first time or whether uh, to continue in that, uh, if God's laying something else on your heart too. But God, would you just be at work showing each person here what you're calling them to do as a result of what your word says. And so we pray these things in your name.